change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world. We can change the world, change the world. We this is the Santita Jackson Show. The Santita Jackson Show, WCPTA 20, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Hey, morning stars, I'm not going to be up on Facebook and YouTube today. Mm, I'm so sorry, but you know what? I'm moving. You know how that is. And so we're trying to get things set up at the new place and all of that and all of that and all of that. But you can tune into WCPT820.com and AM950radio.com and check us out there and continue to send those messages. Continue to send those messages and go to SantitaJackson.com and, um, and check out my new website. We're beginning to populate it. So it's, it's all exciting stuff. Hey, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the IDF, which has been accused of something particularly heinous, something that's akin to what we have done here. They have taken the patriarchs of families, the fathers, the heads of families, and they've killed them in front of their children, their wives, their mothers, their fathers. Can you imagine? Yeah, war crime. There are reports from the UN about that. And then there are reports that women and children have been summarily executed, just executed by the IDF. Let us talk about that. Let's talk about war profiteers. Uh, Raytheon, which is known as RTX now, Boeing, uh, Northrop Grumman, um, Lockheed Martin, shareholders like Vanguard, J.P. Morgan, Chase, they're making billions of dollars on the war. In fact, there were reports that I shared with you some months ago that these CEOs of these companies, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They would, they would report in calls to their shareholders that Israel's attack upon Gaza was good for business. To the tune of billions of dollars, as President Biden is telling us, it is our patriotic duty to fight, but they're the ones who are making billions. The CEOs of these companies are making upwards of $60 million dollars over a couple of years. Yeah, as they own more than 100,000 shares of stock in these corporations. We've got to talk about that today. And of course, Dr. Max Wolf will be on with us talking about this new world order. We've been hearing about the new world order, but how is the new world being ordered? I mean, the elites had one idea, but it seems that people might have another idea. I tell you this, you better keep on fighting so that the world is ordered in a way that advantages all human beings, not just a few, not just a few people who want to run everyone else. I'm Santita Jackson. Let's get to some of these headlines. The U.N. is trying to pass a key resolution to stop the fighting in the Gaza Strip. The Security Council of the United Nations will meet again to try to overcome U.S. objections to a resolution pressuring Israel to curtail violence and allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. Why is America pushing back on that? You tell me, 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. The U.S., Israel's primary ally, has repeatedly vetoed Security Council resolutions related to the war and says a ceasefire would hand a victory to Hamas. Interesting. 
The U.S. is facing an unprecedented surge at its southern border. Illegal crossings have reached record numbers this month. Customs and Border Protection is logging over 10,000 encounters with migrants there each day. These officials say that this surge is twice the size of what its budget can support, and negotiations for more funding have stalled in Congress. President Biden criticized Donald Trump's remark that undocumented immigrants are, quote, poisoning the nation, close, close, quote. Trump has denied that his language echoes Adolf Hitler. A judge said that former New York City mayor, America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, must pay a $148 million penalty immediately. He owes it to two Georgia women he falsely accused of trying to help steal the 2020 election. The former New York mayor has repeatedly said that he does not have the money. A federal judge accused Giuliani of ongoing dishonesty in a scathing ruling yesterday, writing that there is a strong danger he would hide his assets. The mastermind of a Navy bribery scandal was handed over to the United States. Leonard Glenn Francis, known as Fat Leonard, admitted to the largest corruption scandal in U.S. military history, but he fled last year before he could be sentenced. Venezuela returned Francis to the United States as part of a major prisoner swap. Biden said yesterday Venezuela is releasing some 10 detained Americans, and there's a new coronavirus variant that is spreading fast. So the JN1 subvariant is descendant of the Omicron variant, which has caused an increase in cases this winter. I wonder what are the symptoms and, um, and how survivable are they, everybody? Wow, California will allow sewage waste to be recycled into drinking water to allow water companies to pump treated wastewater into, pres- into residents' taps. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? What about waste, sewage waste, that will become your drinking water? How do you feel about that? Call me at 773-763-9278. In Chicago, it's going to be a little warmer today, 41 degrees and cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 41 degrees and cloudy. In the NBA, the Bulls, 124. The Lakers, 108. The 76 is 127. The Timberwolves, 113. In the NFL, the Saints will be playing the Rams tonight. Remember, it's postseason, everybody. In the NHL, uh, today the Canadians will be facing off against the Wild, but tomorrow the Canadians will be facing off against Chicago. I guess they're trying to keep it regional. And everybody, I want to give a special shout-out to my family at WCPT and AM 950 Radio. Rain or shine, no matter what, they get this show on the air. And, you know, getting up at this early, early hour and ensuring that you get this show delivered to you is not an easy thing. So I want to thank Matt Cummings, who is a married man with a family, but you can call him 24-7-365. Mark Pinsky, who holds the whole station down. Melissa Rizzi, who's really helped to launch this show, and Steve Lessman has done the same. And I want to thank Devin Andrakis and Mike Mercado and Henry Edwards and Alex Castaneda, uh, my team, who get this show delivered to you physically every day. And sometimes they are driving in the streets in the dark, trying to get here as quickly as they can. This is a tough schedule. And so please think of them and send them some love today because they really, they make this happen. This is a team effort. And I want to thank them all for all that they do. We have got uh, Pastor Darius Brooks. Yes, that's right. The Darius Brooks, the Grammy Award winner, uh, one of the masters of modern gospel music. He's also a pastor 
of Grace Central in Westchester, Illinois. How you doing, Pastor Darius Brooks? Good morning, Santita. Good morning. I'm so honored and grateful to be here. Of course, every Tuesday from 5 to 7, we feed eight different townships, eight different communities. Uh, Grace Central mm. Church, 16 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. And on Wednesdays, we do seniors from noon till 2, so they won't be out in the evening. So if you know anybody who needs food, and Santita, we just don't do this on the holidays. We do this every Tuesday of the year. We give between two and $300 worth of food to over three to 600 families every Tuesday from five till seven, Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. Just Google my name, Darius Brooks. All of this information will come up. And again, on Wednesdays, we do it for the seniors, so they won't have to be out from noon till two. All right, Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, two to $300 worth of food every Tuesday. Santino, I'm excited that you call me a pastor, that I grow an institution or a people that's able to make sense out of this journey we call life. God gives us a message in this mess age. He gives us a message as believers in this mess age. First Samuel 10 and 7 says, after these signs take place, do what must be done. God is with you. Santita, if I had to use for a thought, I'd use one this morning. When I don't get the credit, I'll never stop being my best. Santita, consider the people you, you just said about your friends, Alex and them. Consider the people you see regularly. If you go to school, church, your job, the neighborhood, kids, and even family, man's definition of family is bloodline. God's definition of family are like minds. Consider these people you are around that you call the team you have with you. Often the reason they're there when God is with us is because these are the ones that should be close relationships. They have things in common. We have an opportunity to develop. Who do you enjoy being around? Who do you share common interests with? Who seems genuinely interested in you? And who is it that you genuinely is interested in? I heard you just talk about Matt and Alex and the team. As believers, we obey, not because we just was to obey, but we obey because God has a directive for oneness. Then Peter, how can two walk together except they be agreed? When God's word is your source, not only you, but everybody around you will know God is with you because of the things that are that are accomplished. And see, the money is not proof. A house is not proof. A good car is not proof. Clothing is not proof either. So what proves God is with us? I'm reminded of John 3 and 2 as I close. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know not that thou art a teacher that came from God, for no one can do these miracles that does them except God be with you. People of God, everything God does when it's him is surrounded by good. God is so much more than things in what we see. He makes sure that the surroundings we add, our thoughts, our hearts are in a good place where others are able to see a light. Hello? I want to thank you for that, because I can tell you that, you know, people should look at you and be able to tell whether you want to do good or not. They ought to be. And, 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 
that always makes me feel good when someone will stop and say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> are you, you are, you know, I mean, that, that makes me feel good. But someone stopped me in the store. And um, it turns out my brother, Congressman Jackson, Jonathan Jackson, just has just does nice things for people. This woman stopped me in the store. It almost made me cry. And I could see she was struggling a bit. And so, you know, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Let me just reach and grab some of these coins and let's just take this off of them. So I've, I've had grandmamas and, and, I've, and I've had tough times too. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she, it, she said, you're a Jackson. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you know, your brother did the same thing for me. <laughs> she was just, she had come a little short, but it was like, you know, take that money and go do something nice for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you can do it, if you can do it, if you can, and even if you take a hit on the other side, that's okay. Trust me, I have seen more in this season that God will take care of you. And, 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 I, and I know that, and I know that to be true. How can we be with you? Because indeed, you do such great work, Darius, and I'm so glad to see Pastor Brooks, excuse me, that God is expanding your ministry. How can we worship with you, and um, and how can we get this food? Because so many people need so much to eat, because Christmas Eve is Sunday, and Christmas is on Monday. Absolutely. So, indeed, we served almost 450 families last Tuesday. Grace Central mm. Church, GraceCentral.net, GraceCentral.net, uh, every Tuesday. And, and, and you, you, you could call us if you don't have anything. We don't, not just every Tuesday. If you're in need, uh, we, we also help people with light bills and, 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 and you know, and things that mm-hmm. are of, of significance. Grace Central Church, GraceCentral.net, and Sunday morning service is 1030 till noon, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, Grace Central Church. We'd be honored to have you and honored to serve you. And I promise you, you will feel like you're one of the family when you go there. And that is why when you have collections at church, that is what this goes for. And that is what Mm -hmm. you see with the First Lady, Deborah, his daughter, Dasha, and the whole Grace Central family. This is why you contribute. Please give them a love offering today. They need it because they are helping the people. They're doing God's work. I love you, Pastor Darius Brooks. I love you more. I love you more. I do, I do, I do. I do, I do, I do. Well, we've got your favorite, and she, you're her favorite, too. Dr. Shanina Knighton is with us today. Dr. Knighton? She's mine, too. Good morning. Hey, Pastor Brooks. And, you know, she loves you. You love her. Love Fest. I love it. But you know what? Stay right here. Stay right here because both of you all have such powerful testimonies for your lives. I'm going to have you both on one day because Shanina is the first person in her family to get a high school diploma, let alone a college degree or a doctorate. And Darius, um, he too, his life, he is a miracle. He is a miracle, too, um, from probably the most underserved area of the city, and yet he is a man with honorary doctorate degrees, and he is a world-renowned Grammys and all of that. You have very similar paths, but you let us know that it is no secret. Oh, hallelujah, what God can do. What he's done for others, what he's done for Dr. Knighton and Darius Brooks, Pastor Brooks, he'll do for you. Just remember that whenever, whether you're in or out of faith, I want you to know, I want you to know God's got a miracle for you. 
God's got a miracle for you. God's got a miracle for you. Dr. Knighton, what's on your mind today? We have a, got a whole lot. They say there's a, get a talk to me because we're, we're in the midst of the season. I can't believe Christmas Eve is Sunday and Christmas is on Monday. Yes, it's like here, it's right around the corner. I think one of the biggest things that I think is of importance right now is just awareness that we are in December. And December, between December and February, is the peak time for flu. It's going to be the peak time for COVID. It's going to be the peak time for RSV. It's going to be the peak time for pneumonias, common colds, and other viruses. And so the importance of sharing that message is while individuals before may have been laxed about going certain places, about going to social events, it's just understanding now is the most important time for you to be vigilant around your infection prevention and control practices. One, understanding that if you don't feel well, then don't go. Stay home. There may be a party next year. And then when we're thinking about, let's say, if you're not feeling well and stay home, most people might think like, oh, Dr. Knight saying, oh, keep your germs to yourself and don't spread them to others. Well, that is part of it. But what people also don't realize is that let's say that you are sick and you have a common cold, your immune system is compromised and it's not in tip-top shape. So you may go out with that common cold and if someone has COVID, your common cold, you have a common cold that then can, you know, also bring about COVID. You can have COVID and all of a sudden, and because you're out and vulnerable and your immune system is weak, also encounter the flu. If you're an older adult, you also have an increased risk that if you have any of those other illnesses, you're at a higher risk for pneumonia and you're at a higher risk for getting the flu or one of these other illnesses. RSV, too. So RSV is something that older adults and kids tend to get as well. And so bringing that up to say that in this season, it is very important that if you are under the weather, if you know that you are under stress, if you're not in your optimal condition, being in an environment where transmission risk of illness is high, you then put yourself at risk. The other piece is that I mention this all the time. We're spending a lot more time indoors because naturally the weather is cold. With cold weather, that is going to bring about a lot of closed-in settings, a lot of stuffy settings, a lot of settings where people are going to be breathing in the same exact air. Well, with that air that they're breathing in, the air exchange is low. So it's important that they have windows open if it's at your home or at your place, that you have windows open and air circulating. So that way it takes more than just one cough for everyone in the room to get ill. We've seen this happen um, on transportation where studies have been done. We've seen this happen in closed classrooms where these studies have been done. So we know that air can be a transmitter, especially when there is no fresh air exchange. As you mentioned upon the holiday season, Santita, because we're talking about socially, staying home, not staying home, you know, how to mingle. 
I just want to remind people, one of the most disgusting pet peeves that I'm going to bring up that many don't want to hear today is when you are out at a networking event, a holiday event, okay, and there are hors d'oeuvres that you must eat with your hands, be conscious about the fact that you are shaking people's hands while you are networking and you now have grabbed that bruschetta off the plate after shaking oh. four and five hands and you're now wait, eating wait, wait, it directly. Wait. After they've breathed on it. After they've breathed oh. on it, exactly. And so this is something oh. that commonly. And so I've always been a person that if I'm out and we're eating, I'll literally do an elbow to elbow and say, hey, hi, no, this is informal, but I know that we're both eating. And I'll actually do an elbow to elbow introduction just to let them know that I'm not trying to acknowledge them, but I need my hands to eat and we're eating. But that is one of the biggest pet peeves and things that I continue to see when I'm out and I continue to watch people have events is that they're still shaking hands and still using those same hands to put food directly into their mouths and then wondering why they're sick. You don't think about it, though. Right? I mean, you just, um, you just don't. don't. But they're you, your hands, you and that's your food. Yeah. You just don't think about that. I mean, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying we just don't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Okay. Well, you know, thank you, Dr. Knighton, for that. <laughs> just, we need it, but you really need that now. You really need that now. And you know what? There are ways, you know, and you let people know I love you, but I got to be real careful right now. Just got to be Absolutely. real careful. And, and wait a minute. And you got to be careful, too. And because I care for you, here we are. Uh, sending you so much That's love, it. Dr. Shanina Knighton, yeah. you and your beautiful family. Wow. Let's talk about these war profiteers. <laughs> I mean, it was first reported when Israel declared war on Gaza that these, that some of the five biggest Weapon U.S. weapons makers said that this would be good for business, and it has been great for business. The CEOs are making tens of millions of dollars a year. Their, com- their companies are making billions of dollars right now because the war is ongoing. So maybe that's why the U.N., when the United States is arguing, you know, we got to keep the war going. They're keeping them in business. So you let me know what you think. 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. We can change the world. Change the world. Change the world. We can change the world. We can change the world. Change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. Hey, we are going to really be at the center of the Democratic National Convention next summer. You don't want to miss all that we will be bringing. And, of course, uh, AM 950 Radio, you're going to have to come on down here. I don't mind sharing a little booth with you. 
the AM 950 radio, of course, you know, Amy Klobuchar, Ilhan Omar, all these great. Dean Phillips, you don't have a whole lot. What's going on up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and up in Minnesota? A whole lot. And Prince and Gary Hines in the Sounds of Blackness, all my people. Sending you so much love today, everybody. Uh, let's talk about the prophets in war. Let's talk about the profits in war. Uh, it turns out that when you look at the top five U.S. companies and these European uh, weapons manufacturers, they are making literally a killing off of this Gaza war. Of course, I brought to you several months ago the reports that the CEOs from some of the top five uh, American companies like Boeing and General Dynamics and RTX, which is Raytheon now, and Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, they would have these meetings, these telephone calls, these telephone meetings with their shareholders, and they would say, you know, it's sad what's happening over in Gaza, in West Bank, in Israel, but wow, we're about to make a lot of money, and they are making a killing. The Eyes on the Ties report from October details just how much money they are making, and so maybe... That is why the United States is fighting so hard in the U.N. to keep this war going. Because if you have a ceasefire, you don't use weapons. Somebody's not going to make money. Boy, oh boy, Dwight McKee, brilliant social scientist. And, of course, we've got Dr. David Gibbs, brilliant historian. But we're going to start things off and let David Swanson, World Beyond War, set the table for us because we need to look, know what we're looking at. I don't think that we really, really know. Rage Against the War Machine, War is a Lie, that is his book. Let's talk about this, David Swanson, because somebody's making a whole lot of money and some people want this war to go on and on and on. David Swanson. Oh, there is no question that the people who profit from these wars, and it's a pretty small number of people, uh, love every single one of them, love every war, and all the sales that come after the wars because the weapons have been tested, and uh, they absolutely love it. Um, the U.S. Congress and President Biden just broke the records for military spending uh, about a week ago. Uh, <laughs> that la the last Democratic uh, Party convention, they had a platform said they were going to reduce military spending and invest in good human needs. Uh, they'll say it again, uh, but it won't. But they will be lying as always. You know, they've just broken the records. Uh, and on top of that, they want over another hundred billion, mostly for weapons for mostly Ukraine, but also Israel, also uh, Taiwan. Got to get that one up and running. And for the border of Mexico, which they also think of as a war, uh, four wars at once. Uh, and, you know, the, the wonderful, <laughs> glorious problem is that there are some people in Congress who oppose one or another of those four, which is stalling the thing. But the weapons companies love them all. Uh, and most of the money, most of the money that's given to Israel or Ukraine never leaves the, the Washington, D.C., greater metropolitan area, you know, where, where the biggest weapons dealers in the world live. Lockheed Martin and, and Northrop Grumman and Raytheon and Boeing, uh, you know, these, these companies are just rolling in the dough. Uh, and they are open and shameless, and so are Congress members who own stocks in them about making money off these 
uh, and many of the guests you hear on corporate television and radio and in the newspapers who are just identified by their former positions in the U.S. government are making tons of money uh, from these companies. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely shameless, but it is one of the biggest driving factors behind the, these wars, even though it's never pushed as the, as the propaganda justification for them. But, you know, it's, and it's legal for, you know, for, the, for, for congresspersons to engage in insider stock trading, and it's legal for them to own stocks and companies that make money off of war. What is going on here? I mean, because even what we're looking at with the ties that that different uh, that many of the biggest people in our politics have to Ukraine. And and we don't want to question that. And I'm just wondering what's going on, David Swanson. It seems a lot of people have a lot of money tied up in these wars. And then they then they come up on the backside to the American people and try to justify it and get us to join the military. And then you have people come out of the military embittered because they find that they get over there and they're protecting the mercenaries. They're losing their lives, making barely any money, but people are making a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a pop to be there for a particular tour. David Swanson, do I have this right or well, am I wrong? Well, you know, you, a lot of things are legal in every sense of the word that shouldn't be, but some things are legal just because they let you get away with it. Uh, they're not legal on paper. Genocide is not legal on paper. You've got dozens of governments saying this is genocide, withdrawing their di- diplomats from, from Israel, and yet not a single one will go to the International Court of Justice and actually charge genocide, uh, which is you know, what was the point of having the Genocide Convention was to stop and prevent genocide, not just to be able to review it years later. Uh, it's not legal to send weapons uh, to governments that are engaged in horrific crimes uh, with those weapons. Uh, it's you know, there, there is, uh, yes, uh, a, a, a growing demand by the U.S. military to, to join, to sign up, because they're struggling. Uh, they're struggling very badly uh, with recruitment, as, as bad as ever. But U.S. wars have been moving uh, in, in the Saudi war on Yemen, in the Ukraine war, in the Israeli war on Gaza to simply using U.S. weapons and other people's bodies okay, so that they don't, they don't need as much uh, for, uh, for U.S. people, personnel, to join in the wars. I mean, this is their favorite model of war. This is the kind of war that the U.S. public resists the least. Uh, it's, it's amazing how much activism we've managed to have against the Israeli war on Gaza because it's not U.S. troops. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's terrific that there is resistance to recruitment, that young people are smarter than anybody's ever been in the United States when it comes to war and peace. If you if you go by the polls, uh, the problem is that they're just using the U.S. weapons and, and not the U.S. bodies. And they're using other people's bodies and the wars are rolling on. Mm. Dwight McKee, you saw uh, ultimately... Uh, David Swanson, Dwight McKee has been working with Reverend Jackson Boy since about 1965-66 when he was a teenager, yeah. when he was a young teenager in high school. And because my father was the 
was the youth minister, the youth pastor at our church when he was in seminary. And so Reverend Evans, our pastor, put him over young people. And that's how they moved into the civil rights movement, although Dwight had already been active. He already had a heart for this kind of work. But I'm bringing him into the conversation because many people say that what ultimately got Dr. King taken out of here was his push against the war machine. When he came out against the Vietnam War, that was it for him. Reverend White T. Walker said that to him when he finished his Riverside speech opposing the war. He said, you've just signed your death warrant. And Dr. King said, I know. Um, Dwight, what do you make of this? All of this profit in war. What? What? So that's something we don't talk about. Well, for the first thing people need to understand is that foreign aid is domestic aid on foreign soil. Foreign aid is domestic aid on foreign soil. Warfare is welfare for people who blow things up. It's the money goes to the American corporations first. And then it, it, it filters down to, you know, logistically to some other countries. But after the Americans finish paying for themselves, for their bombs, for their food, you know, for their fuel, then the money that's left kind of filters down to the different countries for their needs, you know, to pay some doctors or some teachers or whatever. But it's really welfare. Warfare is really welfare for people who blow things up. And so the things you have to understand is that that policy and your thoughts about that policy are formed by the same corporations that make the money off of these policies. When you look at the Sunday morning shows, Beat the Press, uh, uh, the World View shows, and MSNBC, those same commentators, that form the policy and frame the policies. All those shows are sponsored by war, uh, war industries, the Raytheons, the Boeing. When you look at who advertises on those shows and who sponsor those shows, the same companies that profiteer from the wars themselves are the same ones that's paying the salary and the staff of those uh, media companies. And so those are not objective people reporting on the news. Those are propagandistic people who are framing your thoughts about wars around the world and framing this death and this destruction in progressive ways. And even some companies that you think are, you know, non-profiteering, non-war companies really get their money and got their woman money off of war. So DuPont, for example, which is seen as a very progressive co- company, they made all of their money off of selling dynamite to the Germans, to the Americans, to the British. They first were a company, a, a, a war machine that then uh, branched off into other industries. 
And, and, and a lot of the American economy is like that. And so unless you do your research and, again, know what you're looking at, you fall victim to the propaganda machine as opposed to you really understanding exactly the, the wherewithal of what you're dealing with and what you're looking at. And I'm going to say it one more time, is that that warfare, when you hear about when they declare a war, warfare is welfare for people who blow things up. Sounds right to you, David Swanson. Oh, no question. Absolutely. It's a, war spending is a huge concentrator of wealth. Uh, it is a means of taking money from the vast majority of people and concentrating it in the hands of billionaires and multimillionaires. Uh, it is not a jobs program. There is not some silver lining or mitigating factor, some bit of good to go with the bad, that it's good for the U.S. economy. I mean, it, it, I don't know how how it became acceptable for Congress members to say something so sociopathic that, you know, we're we're blowing up these these families uh, because it's a jobs program for my state, for my city. But it also isn't true. It, it actually eliminates jobs. You get more jobs by putting the same dollars into education or energy or just about anything else or even not taxing them from working people in the first place. You get more jobs, better economic impact. So it's an economic drain. Uh, it's a concentrator of wealth. It's it's a directly evil enterprise uh, that does not do anything that nonviolent activism couldn't do better, that almost always fails on its own terms. It is a top creator of death and injury uh, and trauma in the world that is the leading cause of homelessness in the world that is an incredibly devastating impact on the natural environment and is the overwhelming impediment to global cooperation on non-optional crises like the climate and homelessness and poverty uh, and is a, a, a fueler in a vicious cycle of bigotry and hatred, which always soars during and after war times, uh, and then in turn fuels the war propaganda, which is fed to us by the corporate media outlets as if we're imbeciles, as if we don't know about the profiteering that we've been talking about on this program. Uh, so, uh, absolutely, it is it is welfare. Uh, for those who need it least, for those who do the most damage with it, but for those who have bought and controlled our our government uh, and our communication system, uh, and we've we've got to get out from under it. And again, it's very encouraging what young people say about these wars in the polls. We have to figure out some way for them to become old without becoming stupid, you know, for them to keep, to keep it, it, their insight, uh, while becoming old so that as the next generation of smart young people comes along, they become a majority. You know, that's what we need to figure out. Dr. Gibbs, your thoughts. Um, um, yeah, this is, there's a long tradition of this, um, of, um, you know, the military sector acting as a lobbyist for policies that lead to war. I mean, one that I focused on in the 1990s 
uh, the expansion of NATO was was strongly backed, and I would lar- say largely driven by um, spending by military contractors who were very distressed that spending was low in the 1990s, resulting from the end of the Cold War, and they wanted to raise military spending. And so they lobbied for the expansion of NATO. There was, I believe, something called the Committee on NATO, which was essentially a lobby group to argue for the expansion of NATO into Eastern Europe, violating an agreement with, with the Soviet Union not ever to do that. Uh, the idea was that if the Eastern European countries joined NATO, they would uh, get rid of their Soviet-era equipment and purchase uh, U.S. or possibly European military equipment, which, of course, they did, uh, to the benefit of the military-industrial complex. Um, the problem was, of course, by expanding NATO, uh, that basically is the reason we have a war in Ukraine right now. That's the main reason for it, expansion of NATO in violation of an agreement not to do so. Hello. I'm sorry, David Swanson, how can we help our young people? Well, how can we help the public get this information? I mean, because many of us don't make the connection between war profiteering and war making and war mongering. Well, there's a great article right now on CommonDreams.org from about the American Friends Service Committee tracking uh, the the profiteers uh, in particular from the war on Israel, uh, war on Gaza by Israel. But it's you know it's it's the big weapons companies that are listed everywhere. You know, go to go to the SIPRI, S I P R I Stockholm International Peace Research Institute uh, for the top weapons dealers. Uh, they are near you. They are near everybody. Uh, there are locations, in fact, being protested by good people all over the world. Today, all over the world, the biggest Israeli weapons company, Elbit Systems, is being protested at facilities and offices all over the world. Uh if you uh, if you listen to shows like the Santita Jackson show, like Democracy Now!, which has been doing a great job on this story, uh, if you watch Al Jazeera being aware of its biases, but there's wonderful reporting happening on Al Jazeera, if you if you search out a variety of media outlets and know how to tell what's what's reliable and what's not, uh, you can be very well informed. If you use social media and you follow the right people, oh my goodness, the, the sort of media coverage that the corporate media gave us incredibly on Ukraine showing the victims of war. The one, one side, of course, but the victims of war. You can get that coverage of every war if you go and find it on social media. I mean, the, the videos, the the articles, the, the stories uh, that are absolutely well documented and verified and horrific uh, are there. And it's our responsibility to share them. This is this is how we move things. This is how Black Lives Matter developed and moved things uh, by finding the videos and sharing them. Uh, so we have a responsibility to do that. Uh, if you if you go to groups like the ones I work for, RootsAction.org and WorldBeyondWar.org, uh, there are a million and one ways to get involved and and to 
share with others. Um, we try to put the most useful articles uh, about war and peace up every day on the website at worldbeyondwar.org. Um, there's, 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 no, there's no reason to depend on the sort of grotesque communication system where murdering three people becomes a story when they happen to be people of, of a particular flavor, when they are Israeli hostages and they're murdered, it's a story. And if they had been Palestinian, it wouldn't have been a story at all. They would have been three among 10,000. Uh, you know, there's no reason to to support, much less to believe uh, the sort of thinking that comes from those media outlets. You know, I mean, and to think that this young Israeli was shouting in Hebrew, shirtless, waving a white flag. I mean, my goodness, what do you have to do not to get killed? David Swanson, what is this? Oh, you have to not be in Gaza. That's it. You know, they, they are, it's it shoot anything that moves uh, in Gaza. It's, it's Netanyahu to Biden. You dropped a nuke on Japan. It's our 9-11. We have authorization to do anything we want because the United States has done it before. This is, this is what you have to do to stay alive in Gaza is not be there. And, of course, you're not allowed out. This, this is, you know, mass murder in an open-air prison. Uh, and, and, again, if those people, obviously, of course, it's an incredible tragedy every time anybody is murdered. Uh, but if those people had been Palestinian, they would have been just as human. They would have had relatives and friends unless they were all already killed. Uh, they would have had quirks and nicknames and pets, and they would have been murdered without anybody ever hearing about it uh, because we're now at around 20,000 murdered uh, and tens of thousands injured uh, and over 90% of the entire place driven out of their homes. Tens of thousands of people facing disease and starvation worse, worse than bullets uh, and, and nothing being done. And the world coming together and the United States vetoing the world. Uh, you know, this is so it, it, this is a, a U.S. government problem. This is this is not just an Israeli government problem. Uh, the Israeli government would not have the weapons, would not have the propaganda support, and would not have the protection from international law were it not for the U.S. government that is driving this. Uh, and, and we can get barely a handful of Congress members to even say, much less do, anything about it. Uh, you know, and the very, very best ones, the very best members of Congress that actually want to take a stand and not send any more weapons and demand an actual ceasefire, they want to figure out a way to get all the weapons to go to Ukraine so that more men, women, and children can die there instead of in Gaza. This, this is what we've been reduced to at this point. We, we've got to keep pushing and change things. Well, you know, you've got to come back. We... Wait a minute, Dwight. I've got, I've got a hard out. But he has written a tremendous piece, two, 20 things you're not supposed to know about the war in Gaza. I'm going to press you to come on tomorrow to talk about that because we need to know about these 20 things we're not supposed to know. Stay right here, everybody. What about the IDF killing fathers and men in front of their wives and their children? They're being executed. Women and children are being executed. you got to talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. Back in a minute. 
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Hey, good morning. It is Thursday, December 21st, 2023. I'm Santita Jackson. This is the Santita Jackson Show on the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, WCPT 820 here in Chicago. We will have the Democratic Convention here next uh, next summer, and we will be at the center of it all. And of course, AM 950 Radio, my family to the north in Minneapolis, St. Paul. You all have so much going on. What's going on in Minneapolis? Dean Phillips, Ilhan Omar, Amy Klobuchar. I love it. I love it. I love it. Chad Larson and all my family up there sending you so much love today. Uh, let's talk about the IDF uh, killing men in front of their families. That is designed not just to uh, kill the kill the, the men is designed to kill the family. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then, of course, Dr. Maxwell will be talking about this emerging new world order. But how will this new world be ordered? Let's talk about it. So much of it is on you. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. And let's talk about the last segment, too, all of the prophets in the war. All the people who you see making the arguments for war on television um, and the shows upon which they speak, the news shows are sponsored by the Great War Profiteers. You don't see peace activists. You don't see people looking for diplomatic solutions on television. No, you don't. And you don't hear them on radio either. So think about that, everybody. Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. And let's talk about it today. Of course, David Swanson from worldbeyondwar.org. Dr. David Gibbs, brilliant historian from the University of Arizona. And, of course, uh, Dwight McKee, brilliant sociologist from, uh, he's the dean of the Ma'afa Redemption Project here in Chicago, advisor to Cornell West, among others. And uh, Attorney Mark Pancher, brilliant civil libertarian and civil rights lawyer, uh, National Conference of Black Lawyers. Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT. Let's get to some of these Headlines. The U.N. is trying to pass a key resolution to stop the fighting in Gaza, but America continues to push back. The Security Council will meet again to try to overcome U.S. objections to a resolution pressuring Israel to curtail violence and allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. The U.S. is facing an unprecedented surge at its southern border. Illegal crossings have reached record numbers this month. Customs and Border Protection is logging over 10,000 encounters with migrants there each day. A judge said Rudy Giuliani must pay $148 million immediately. The federal judge accused Giuliani of ongoing dishonesty in a scathing ruling yesterday, writing that there is a strong danger he would hide his assets. Mm, the mastermind of a Navy bribery scandal was handed over to the U.S. Leonard Glenn Francis, known as Fat Leonard, admitted to the largest corruption scandal in U.S. military history, but he fled last year before he could be sentenced. Wow, everybody in Chicago will have a high of 41 degrees and it's cloudy, 41 degrees. Also in Minneapolis, St. Paul, cloudy. In the NBA, the Bulls 124, the Lakers 108. The 76 is 127, the Timberwolves 113, and the NFL, the Saints will be playing the Rams tonight. It's the postseason, everybody. Ooh, what's going to happen tonight in the NHL? Today, the Canadiens will be facing off against the Wild, and tomorrow, the Canadiens will keep it 
in the Midwest and be going up against Chicago. Uh, those are some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Call us at 773-763-9278. I'm struck by this headline from one of my favorite news outlets. Everyone, please support these outlets that seek to give us the truth. Common dreams, common dreams. I read from them every day. I go to them before before I go to the New York Times and all of these other so-called mainstream outlets. Because although they use information collected by these mainstream outlets, they also talk to the people in various places. The UN has detailed alleged IDF summary killings of Gaza men in front of their families. The story goes like this by Jessica Corbett. She does such wonderful work there. Amid mounting war crime claims against Israeli troops, the United Nations Office of High Commissioner of the High Commissioner for Human Rights revealed yesterday that, quote, it has received disturbing information alleging that Israeli Defense Forces summarily killed at least 11 unarmed Palestinian men and some of their family members in the Gaza Strip. And uh, we need to talk about that today because I... Uh, my father, as many people know, was taught, he and Ben Branch, brilliant musician, were talking to Dr. King as he was shot. And it was, he was shot not just by a gun, he was shot by a gun, but they used a missile. It really took out a large part of his jaw, his neck. He was killed immediately, violently. But more than that, he was killed in front of his staff. He was killed in front of the people who were to have carried on. And it was devastating to all of them. A couple of kind of came away mostly whole. But when I've asked Reverend Jackson about this, how he stayed sane, because when he came home that night from this assassination, my mother tried to get him to take off the shirt that had Dr. King's blood on it, and my father wouldn't take it off for a couple of days. You remember that, Dwight McKee, because you were there. You and your sister who used to babysit. And my, but when looking back, my father was in shock, as was James Bevel, as was Andrew Young, as was Jose Williams, as was Gary Massoni, as was, as was, as were, as were all the people who were there. It was devastating. It was devastating for Malcolm X to be killed in front of his pregnant wife and four babies. There was a reason. There's a reason that people kill you that way. So let's talk about that. Because we're seeing women and children who are being summarily executed, too, according to the United Nations. And we're seeing our government push back on resolutions that would stop this. So let's talk about this on the Santita Jackson Show here on WCPT. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278 because in the South with chain gangs, what would happen in the black community, black men who had been working all week, if they'd been working, they went out and had a little drink afterwards, they would be, they would be charged with disorderly conduct, they'd be arrested and they'd be put in prison stripes and they'd have to work in front of their families for the weekend as prisoners. That's designed to destroy you and your mind. So let's talk about that today on the Santita Jackson Show. Got uh, David Swanson from worldbeyondwar.org. 
Dr. David Gibbs, University of Arizona historian, attorney Mark Fancher, uh, National Conference of Black Lawyers, and Dwight McKee uh, from uh, the Ma'afa Project, brilliant sociologist. Let me start with you, Dwight, briefly, and I'm going to go to the rest of the panel. Dwight McKee, what about these unarmed men being killed in front of their families? Well, you know, that's 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 a a um really a method by which you reduce any value, any humanity of a person and letting them family know that these people have no value, no humanity. They are really like like animals at a slaughter, like cows at a slaughter. In the South they used to hang men and have a picnic around it, black men, and have a picnic around it and invite uh, the church congregations and the local fraternities and, and sororities to come and watch these people dangle on a rope. And what it says is that these people really are less than humans. And it says to their families that they have no recourse. You have no power to protect yourself. There's no trial. There's no charges. It is just just violence, just murder. And we want you all to know that this is what we think of your family. This is what we think of you. This is what we thought of your your, your grandfather and your father. It's set, set up, Santi, to, to create generational fear generational oppression, generational contempt that you build into the culture. Ultimately, you try to build into the DNA that you and your family have no redeeming value. You're just, you're no different than a, than a mosquito. It's a, you're no, no different than a, a cow that we take out the slaughter. It is designed to de- de- dehumanize people. Mm. Mark Fancher? Well, you, when you see things like this, uh, it reminds you of, uh, of God's brilliance uh, in that uh, his, his foremost uh, enemy, the thing that he opposes the most, is hatred. And, and the dynamic that he has established on this planet is that those who engage in acts of hate are destined to destroy themselves. And, you know, Dr. King certainly understood that. He preached it, he lived it, he acted it. But in so many ways, uh, both he and the prophets who preceded him, who talked about it, Jesus talked about it, uh, you you begin to see how real uh, that observation is. Because what we see is a manifestation of hatred in its purest sense. And the the origins of it have much to do with what was at the genesis uh, of the establishment of the Zionist state of Israel. Israel was created in 1948 as a a settler state uh, for, uh, presumably, for the protection and the benefit of people of the Jewish faith around the world. But in order to do that, they had to go in and occupy territory that was already uh, occupied by indigenous people. And in order to push them off the land, in order to engage in the the acts that were necessary to displace them, uh, to make the territory available for this new state, 
They had to engage in warfare, horrific acts of all kinds. And when people do that, because people are naturally inclined to want to do good, to do the right thing, in order to rationalize and justify that, you have to develop an entire ideology, an entire philosophy, an entire perspective on the world that, at least for the people who, are, who subscribe to this, uh, they, be, they begin to believe that the targets and the victims of all of this violence, all of the things that are done, are not human beings. And if they don't believe that they're human beings, uh, then it makes it easier for them to engage in these types of acts. You know, Dwight just said that, you know, it was like slaughter of livestock. And when you begin over generations to think of people in that way, then it becomes incomprehensible for you uh, when they begin to act like human beings, when they begin to do and say things which demonstrate that they feel just like you feel, that they bleed just like you bleed, and that they're just as smart as you and sometimes just as cunning as you. Uh, so when Hamas inflicted this blow in October, uh, then that really touched something very deep in the minds of, of, of these military people and in the hearts of these military people. These are subhuman people. These are inferior people, if they're people at all. And they should not be able to touch us like this. They should not be able to inflict this much damage on us. They should not be able to outthink us. They should not be able to do this. And because they have done it, then it really on some level pushed them over the edge and unleashed a campaign against Gaza, uh, which is not one that is the, the product of calculated uh, war planning, uh, because those who plan and prosecute wars generally make very careful calculations about how they're going to uh, in, in impose their will on unwilling populations. But usually it's, it's done with some degree of uh, professional detachment uh, with some compliance with the generally accepted notions of the rules of war, uh, some notion of the optics of it and how the world is going to receive it. But what you have here is just unbridled uh, rage uh, that's being played out. They touched us. They should not have been able to do that. It seems like they're never going to go away. And now at this point, all bets are off. And we're going to go in and we're going to engage in ethnic cleansing. We're going to once and for all purge these people from our territory that we stole uh, fair and square. And what they're losing sight of in the course of their hatred and their rage is the fact that the rest of the world is not where they are emotionally. It's not where they are in terms of their thinking. And it is a situation where they have it's a self-inflicted fatal blow that they have imposed upon themselves because of their own hatred and so now more and more people who just a few months ago uh, were more than willing to support the Zionist project who gave Israel the benefit of the doubt are beginning to think they're beginning to look at this 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 uh, Israeli state in a whole new way they're beginning to learn more about Zionism and its contradictions uh, and, its, and the fundamental injustice of it. They're beginning to empathize with the Palestinians. And the support 
for the Palestinian cause grows stronger and stronger. And even those those elements, those forces which have been traditional allies of Zionism, you know, most notably the United States, are beginning very slowly to put a little bit of distance between themselves and this type of atrocity, you know, this type of unbridled rage and violence. And so ultimately the thing that has protected Israel and protected it from the opposition that did exist has been those forces like the United States and other Western imperialists who are willing to insert themselves between Israel and the rest of the world. But if even the imperialists, if even the, even the U.S. sees that it's not to their advantage to continue to be associated with this sort of thing, if the major corporations which give the marching orders and set the agenda for the United States are now saying that, no, it's not good for business, it's not good for profits, it's not good for the corporate welfare, for us to continue to be associated with uh, a, a rogue government that at this point uh, has destabilized a region that we want to stabilize and exploit, uh, and they all pull back, then those in Israel, the Zionists who are engaged in this type of thing and acting purely on their hatred are left all alone. And ultimately, it could be the reason for their ultimate demise. And their demise does not necessarily mean the free, that freedom will come to Palestine, because there are many other forces. The Western Empire does not want Palestine to be free, but it will assert itself in a different sort of a way and not involve Israel as a partner. And mm. they will be left, you know, those who are Zionists will be left to wonder what happened, how and why. And the origins of it will be hatred. David Swanson. What do you make of this, these kinds of killings, killing women and children? And most of the people who've been killed in Gaza, I mean, and we're not even talking about the settlers who are going in and killing the people in the West Bank. But most of the people who've been killed are women and children. And now we're seeing fathers and, and brothers and these men killed in front of their families. Wow. What is this, David Swanson? Oh, well, I agree strongly with most of uh, what was just very well said. Uh, I think that there is a tradition and a culture in Israel of, uh, to some degree, some segments as celebrating having driven three-quarters of a million of people out with massacres and horrific terrorism and destruction of 400 villages back in 1948. But there's nowhere left to go. Uh, and when you're turning the region and the world against you, uh, these sort of tactics make no sense. Uh, and so I think we should think of, you know, supposed strategies and tactics of killing men in front of their families, not so much uh, as strategy as as pure irrational sadism and hatred. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's sadism as a cause and driving force of wars is as underestimated as profiteering, uh, and yet just as, as real. You cannot explain these things in rational terms. Uh, it, it's, it's clearly counterproductive, and both sides, you know, 
celebrating what Hamas does with violence today and on October 7th and in between uh, is just as irrational, just as counterproductive. Uh, there's no there's no possible way to explain it as benefiting the people of Palestine who are being slaughtered as a predictable result. And Every act of violence and oppression by Israel is counterproductive uh, on its own terms. They are turning people against them. They are building support for resistance to them. Uh, and when when the United States flies Lloyd Austin, you know, Secretary of War from Raytheon over there to explain to the Netanyahu government that they need to do genocide humanely, that they need to do it properly with a little bit less killing of civilians in their mass civilian killing operation, and that he learned this through great painful lessons of wisdom gaining in Iraq and Afghanistan is absolute nonsense. But what anybody learned in Iraq and Afghanistan was that there is no way to do it that isn't counterproductive on its own terms and uh, a humanitarian uh, outrage and catastrophe on on moral terms. Uh, so, you know, that the, yes, the U.S. public is turning, uh, the world is turning against Israeli genocide, but the U.S. government uh, has shown very minimal signs uh, of moving at all. I mean, the slightest, most awkward pretenses. Uh, nobody knows what Bernie Sanders wants, not even Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, they, a, a lot of these people have been pushed and pushed by the U.S. public to the point where they want to figure out some words that they can say. And this is happening in other countries as well. How can we figure out some words that we can say that will please those who oppose genocide? We, the Western culture has spent decades blaming it that if it's against anything, it's against genocide. Even using genocide as a bogus justification for wars in places like Libya. Uh, and how can we say some words that will make people think we're against it while making our donors and our party leaders and the corporate uh, establishment understand that we're for it. Uh, you know, so we, we still have this big hurdle to overcome. Uh, that is the lack of representative government while waging and fueling and arming these wars in the name of democracy. Stay right here, everybody. We're getting it together on the Santita Jackson Show, 773-763. 9278. Back just a moment. Got to get some thoughts from you, Dr. Gibbs. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Getting a little bit of feedback. Let's work that out. Okay. And let us talk about this new world as it's being reordered, as we're looking at seeing the Middle East crisis in a different way. That's part of a new world that is being ordered. Um, the Palestinians are no longer the P word. They're actually people, and they're people who are being slaughtered. Um, 
we're, what we're talking about uh, the summary killings by, by the IDF of men in front of their children and their wives. Wow. Women and children who are being executed. Seventy percent of those killed in Gaza have been women and children. Uh, we were talking about the war profiteering. As we... Uh, of course, pivot to this segment, which belongs to Dr. Wolf. He's been generous enough to share. We want to. We haven't heard from you, Dr. David Gibbs, as we've talked about these summary executions of these human beings, particularly in front of their families. Dr. Gibbs, historically, can you give us some context to this? Well, you know, this is a um, ethnic racial conflict going on in the Middle East. Um, the Israelis don't want to put it that way, at least not publicly. Privately, they, it's another matter, but. It's an ethnic racial conflict between two different groups. In this case, Israeli Jews on the one hand and Palestinians on the other. It's an um, extremely asymmetrical conflict. The one side has the overwhelming military, and in this case, also diplomatic power behind it, standing behind it. That's, of course, Israel. Um, and, and the other side is far weaker by any reasonable... By any reasonable... And... Um, you know, so uh, that, that's the context. And racial <clears throat> and ethnic wars tend to be very ugly by their very nature. They involve, even more so than most wars, they involve dehumanization of the other side. There's no doubt in my mind that both sides engage in this kind of psychological dehumanization and see their other side as you know, fundamentally the enemy and not fully human. Um, and in fairness to the Israelis, I'm sure the Palestinians feel the same way. I think the big catch which really has to be emphasized is the fact that one side holds all the cards militarily. Uh, the Israelis have a vastly larger military power and they link vastly larger amounts of killing. I like what David Swanson said, and I agree with this, that there's an extraordinary degree in the press to, uh, a tendency in the press to emphasize a tiny number of Israeli deaths, the three Israelis who were killed waving white flags by the Israeli armed forces themselves. And of course we should he regrets that the deaths of these three people, uh, which was needless and resulted from a very trigger-happy attitude on the part of the Israeli Defense Forces, but that pales in comparison to the number of Palestinians one never hears about. The number of Palestinian deaths is in the range now, or at least approaching 20,000, um, mostly women and children. And that may be an understatement. It may be much higher than that. And wars barely begun by all indications. It's going to be higher still in the future. We know that for sure. Um, and whenever, or rarely does one hear the kind of intense attention to any of these deaths that one gets of the three Israelis recently killed. Um, you know, they're, they're names of individuals who people now know, of, of, of people who've been either kidnapped or killed. Uh, you know, and again, this is tragic. It does deserve condemnation. It does deserve our sympathy. But it isn't really a sense here in the media that an Israeli life is the same as a Palestinian life. Um, and our, not only do the Israelis see a certain dehumanization of the Palestinians, but the press implicitly validates that by giving this overwhelming attention to a smaller number of Israeli deaths, which are not seen as somehow as the equivalent of Palestinian deaths. And I, I think that that's part of the problem here is the perception that the United States is covering this still mostly from the Israeli standpoint, much more from the Israeli standpoint from the Palestinian than from the Palestinian standpoint. And, you know, naturally, the press follows U.S. policy. Um, but the, 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 what we really need here is a sense that one life is worth the same as another life. And we're really not getting that. We're certainly not getting that from the warring parties, especially the Israelis. We're not getting it from the media either. 
Hmm. David Swanson is going to have to leave us, and I wanted to get a closing comment from him. I encourage you to read his piece on the 20 facts about this Gaza conflict that we just do not know. He'll be back on at the beginning of the year to talk about that. Swanson, your closing thoughts. Well, thank you for everything that you all are doing. Brilliant uh, commentary needs to be shared uh, with the world. Uh, If if the media would only treat every war death on every side of every war as if they were Ukrainians or Israelis, there would be no more war in the world. Uh, That would be it. It, it, It's just too horrific. Uh, And it's by erasing the suffering of most sides of most wars uh, that war is allowed to continue to exist. David Swanson, worldbeyondwar.org. Please give them your support. They work for us. That's important. We support a lot of people who do not support us, but the work that this brilliant man, this brave man has done, really is looking to establish uh, heaven on earth. It can happen if we but but try and change our thinking. David Swanson, I can't wait to have you back on at the beginning of the year. Have a blessed holy season. I can't wait. Have a great time. Thanks very much. Keep it up. Oh, my God bless you. Oh, boy. You know, you want to talk to us about something very interesting, uh, Dr. Wolf. And it's this changing world. I mean, there's so much that's changing before our eyes. And there appears to be a disconnect between what we're seeing in corporate media and what we're hearing in the streets. Not just in the suites, but in the streets. Um what is this changing what's this changing world order that you're talking about that is changing yeah. and reshaping American politics? To be controversial, but I think to bring the point home, we have the same political debates between entrenched opinions all over the world that we had in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties on both sides. And they're just increasingly so far from what's happening that it's hard not to be annoyed by them. Everybody has their professional argument about what's right and what's wrong in the world, and they just run it. And whatever happens in the world fits that argument, or it's over, and they ignore it, right? And so I, I feel like we sort of have this commentary on both sides, left, right, center, that doesn't have much to do with what's going on in the world. And then both the far right and the far left are emboldened because they think that they're more popular, and I think the center collapsed. So I think you have a conversation with old ideas of fading relevance dominated by people who think they're winning based on Internet metrics, which mostly reflect that the mass center that used to hold so much sway has collapsed. Right. So it's sort of like I'm really crushing the other guy in this tennis game. And then you realize you're not playing tennis and the other guy died. And so having a discussion about how good you are at tennis is is hard to follow. Right. Um, so I, I sort of feel like that, you know, the world changes faster often than our understanding of it. And our understanding can also change faster than the world. Right. So it, it's a weird kind of hopscotch game. It's always happening. But when the major pillars of the world erode and then suddenly change, right, then all of a sudden the analytics have to be moved really far. And if they're entrenched and if many of us, you know, I'm sure friends of mine, perhaps myself sometimes too, have a profession singing a song, then the fact that people don't like that music anymore is of passing interest and annoyance to us because 
that's what we do, right? If you're a lifelong trained accordion player and the public loses its taste for accordion, you just get out there and make your accordion loud. That's the American way, right? But the, the, the problem is that they don't like accordion music. And so if you put the analogies aside, the major power blocks have shifted, okay? You can see that. How have they shifted? Middle East is a good example. Everyone talks about Palestine, Israel all the time, and it's highly jarring, but it's a less important, lower casualty event than all the stuff we ignored to get here. That's what I mean about the irrelevant conversations, right? So nobody is playing the global keeper of the order. It's over. There is no one enforcing the rules. Where you might see that the best is the shipping lanes. Where you might see that the best is Syria. Where you might see that the best is the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Right? Because take the countries and the people that the world generally is more concerned with because of their resources, because of their numbers, because of their geostrategic location, because of their alliances. Right? And so what you have is a sort of fading U.S. dominance with other people propping up whoever is fighting the U.S. and the U.S. propping up whoever's fighting them. So you have a lot of proxy wars, you have a lot of coups, right? And that's usually a period of instability. People are not sure who's in charge, right? And when people are not sure who's in charge, all kinds of petty dictators and local warlords grow up, and some of them seize office. We had that in the U.S. when one of our, we have a two-party system, and one of the two parties largely collapsed in its ability to be democratically elected, and so we got a tin pot dictator, right? You might be taller and a bit fatter than you're used to with your tin pot dictators, but it's a tin pot dictator. He just happens to be from the city I live in. So people pretend it's something else, right? And I get it. It's comforting. But that's a change in the world order. I think that the Russians probably have more influence in American politics than we think. I think we have a generation of people who kind of are likely to be swayed pretty effectively by a few million dollars in a social network probably increasingly watching AI-generated fake video, which may or may not choose the next president of the United States. That's a new world order. I don't think the powers that be in the U.S. believe right now that the political outcomes matter much as long as they don't pay taxes and get regulations they don't want. They sort of left the rest of it to go wherever it goes. Um, I think that's a little bit wild. And I think we have a two-party system where almost nobody likes either party. Everyone's registering as an independent. And the uh, election battles are fought out on social media by bots that may or may not be paid for by foreign governments. That's a collapse at the core. And then around the periphery, you have who's in charge. Nobody knows. Maybe I should be all over the world. You have who's all over sub-Saharan Africa. You have civil wars and regional conflicts on the edge of or in conflict process now. You have one in South America with the attempt on Guyana by Venezuela, right? You just have a lot of signals that the world order is shifting. And the only thing I know for sure is everyone who tells you they're sure what's happening or they know where it's going, you should stop listening to immediately. Hmm. So how is, I mean, when you say that Russian, that the Russians have more influence in American politics, Please explain that, because people said that, and Dwight McKee is still here, as is Mark Fancher and Dr. Gibbs, people accuse Dr. King of being a Russian agent. So it's always sure. kind of, you, particularly when you step into the civil rights community, that's something. Uh, Dwight, can you quickly, quickly comment right on that? Here. Well, but it you know, is the far right here. 
Yeah. You know, because indeed it was the it was the publication of the Pravda newspaper of the old USSR that mm-hmm. really helped to push America on desegregation. When they showed black children being bitten by these dogs, it was embarrassing to the world. But Dwight McKee, very quickly, why don't you respond to that before I go back to Dr. Will? Well, much of that is two things. One is racism, where you just can't acknowledge that people have the intelligence to... Uh, have a legitimate opinion and legitimate rights, uh, and so you have to discount any any notion of equality that they have. But secondly, a lot of that with Dr. King and the dogs had very little to do with black Americans. It was that the uh, powers that be needed to create the impression that black Americans had some rights so that they could open up the way to the exploitation of Africa and the Middle East and keep it from Russia, that Russia was using it as a propaganda tool to say, see, that these Americans really don't believe in equality. They believe in racism and they want to be in charge of your resources. And so in many ways, Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson had to stop that to correct the image of America so they could keep propagandizing the uh, the world order, is that Radio Free Europe couldn't lie about the, uh, the land of opportunity while you was watching dogs bite children on television. They had to reconcile that. Hmm. So I agree. when you look at what, what are we what are we missing here about you know well I mean the role that we're seeing Russia playing in American politics we're seeing the role that Israel is playing in Russia in American politics it seems like a lot of people have a buy-in on American politics China Japan everybody has a dog in the fight it appears yeah but I, I would start by saying we don't do anything out of generosity here right this is an mm. empire an empire needs certain services, and it needs bases. And some of those military bases are called countries, and some of them are called bases, right? Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, and they have to do with elections and other stuff. I, I don't disagree with anything that, that Dwight is saying. I think what, what these analyses sometimes miss is 1991, so there was a revolution. And even though it was largely an imperial conflict between the U.S. and Russia, it was couched in ideological terms about being progressive, about being revolutionary, however true that was or wasn't. And the Russians figured out pretty quickly that there were racial tensions in the U.S. and they were pretty easy to stoke. And so they did, and they do now. But now they're pushing white supremacists in a blood purity thing all over the world. So they're literally on the other side, probably because this is always about weakening a foe. The same way that the U.S. will run campaigns about corruption in Russia, which, while they may be fact-based and and important, they're not running about allied nations, which have those problems at least as acutely, right? And so that's kind of how this goes, right? And I think all over the world, you're seeing those shifting alliances. So I think, for instance, the fact that the shipping lanes are now threatened And no one is sure. Now there's a coalition coming led by the U.S., but I think the Chinese do whatever they need to do to push China and destabilize whoever they see as a competitor, the U.S. The Russians do, too. The U.S. does, too. So the U.S. realized that stabilizing those shipping lanes was mostly for global trade and for allies in Asia and Europe, and they decided they can pay for it themselves. 
And I, they don't want to send American military ships into a conflict to keep oil moving that disproportionately helps China. And so a global shipping lane closes. That's what I mean about changing world order, right? Mm-hmm. What everyone's figured out in Russia is the sort of gods of steel, old-fashioned military, heavy metal military is extremely vulnerable to new technologies, right? And so you're going to have a change in what militarily matters more. And I think you're seeing that be tested out in part in the Ukraine. But I do think that, like, we get these conversations about Ukraine and Russia and we get these conversations about Palestine and Israel, and the nastiest piece everyone forgets, right? Which is the currency of the moment is the allies of Ukraine need Ukrainians to be victims of atrocities. It's actually beneficial. And the people who are, who are backing a sort of cause in the Middle East need Palestinian atrocities. And there's, the Israelis have been all too happy to comply in droves, Right. But there's, you have this world order in which people are fighting other people's battles who are then deeply incented to keep those wounds festering and those people dying because that's the fuel. So it's not a byproduct. It is the product. Mm. Right. And so if you're you ask yourself, hey, why is this not ending? It's because this was the point. Right. Just like why is unemployment unending? Because unemployment is the most effective, low cost labor discipline feature we have. And the reason that people, you know, have a hard time understanding that is because it feels funny and bad. And I'm not trying to say, you know, good versus evil. I don't think that's a good political discussion. Um, Plenty of people work on these things with no self-awareness. Any theory of anything artificially makes sense of things that often don't. So I'm not alleging that folks doing good works around the world that might have bad consequences aren't good and pure of heart and motivated by those good outcomes. In many cases, they are. But in the bigger logic, I just think we have these debates that don't take account of what we've learned from history and how the world has changed. So Russia today is a far-right white supremacist dictatorship pushing mostly white supremacist far-right anti-immigrant, anti-minority parties in Europe and the U.S. The end. And I don't know if they believe in that or if it's any kind of evil kind of nasty, but it works and it gets them what they want. Right? And 50 years ago, they were much more friendly to racial equality and left-of-center politicians because they wanted that kind of influence, and it was more consistent with the ideology. The ideology in Russia now is Putin, white savior, Christian of a benighted Europe, beset by Jews and Muslims. Right? And that works for him right now, for his sort of authority, especially because people don't really realize this, but Russia is a consortium of countries. It has a rising and very large population that's Muslim that's kept down pretty harshly, and you don't see much of that group in leadership as general rule. They have their own internal tensions, too. And this might be where we want to reflect on ourselves a little more. That white supremacist logic sells in large parts of the white community in the United States. And that's our cross to bear. That's where my analytic gets more interesting, right? And I think that, you know, various folks have said this on the show already, but what we see in the Middle East is terrible, but it's a war. You're just seeing more of both sides than usual, which I think is progress. I think that's a good thing. Um, And I think it's easier for us to talk about atrocities when no one is wearing our uniform, 
But it's important to talk about those because what we're really talking about is war, particularly war in a crowded urban areas where mostly non-combatants die, which is a modern war, unfortunately. So what are we to make of all of this? Because what you're saying is is running counter to the narrative that we catch on our news all day, every day. I mean, number one, we're not digging this deeply and we're not making the connections, but we're not looking at what's really going on here, Dr. Wolf, to our detriment. Yeah, I think the critics, too. I think a lot of the critics are smart and humanist and well-intended and they know a lot of the history of these conflicts. But I, I wonder sometimes if we're watching the same news show. <laughs> Maybe we're not. Maybe I'm watching the long one. I'm sure Biden will tell you that. And sometimes they'll be right. But I feel like we have a debate between different sides that are just doing what they usually do, which has some value, but nobody's paying attention to what's going on. Right? So one thing that I think is interesting is that more Americans will probably get excited about domestic things than foreign things, unless you make the foreign things domestic. And so everyone takes every international story and Americanizes it. And I understand that, but it can be very dangerous. Right. So I think the Ukraine-Russia conflict gets Americanized for American audiences. I think the stuff in Venezuela with Guyana is going to get that treatment. I think the sort of Israel-Palestine stuff gets that treatment, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think otherwise it cuts a little bit too close to home, maybe. So but for me, I guess it's important for me because I come from a refugee family, too. So I have some sort of sympathy mm-hmm. there. Um we're not doing favors for Ukraine. Ukrainians are dying probably in the hundreds of thousands in this war. That's what's been estimated. Yep, and we're backing them because we want the outcome that they're bringing, or we think we do. And I don't know what we mean here. I think the U.S. government, and I think in all these conflicts, like I think people who get confused between Hamas and the Palestinian public don't make a good analytic because I don't think they're the same. People who get confused between Israel or Israelis or Jews and the present far-right fringe Israeli government that didn't even win a majority and has the largest protest in the country's history against it don't do a great service. And I think people who think that every Ukrainian believes what Zelensky believes might have some issues, and every people who think that Russians believe what Putin's government believes, because I don't know how popular he is, but in my humble opinion, if the accident rate in your political opponents is that high, someone's nervous about your popularity, right? So my guess is, in most cases in every country, U.S., Russia, Israel, uh, Hamas, the West Bank, uh, conflating a populace with its government's always risky, right? Especially in the modern age. So I just think we have a lot of analytics that, to me, seem like they're grafts, Right? And these stories, to me, a lot of the analytics on both sides, they look like people wearing their dad's suit. And it's great to admire your dad, but you should probably have your own suit because the fit's never great. Mm. And look, Thank it's a suit. And if everyone else in the room has sweatpants, you, you might look like a king. Now, you know what? Just stop it. Stop talking. <laughs> just, just stop it. Dr. Max Wolf, everybody. The brilliant Dr. Max Wolf, helping us to understand how the world really works beyond what you're seeing uh, and hearing, hear, seeing on television and hearing in corporate driven news. There's a story behind the story. Start asking those questions, start demanding 
that these people who speak to you ask those questions and bring on the guests who bring on the information. I love you, everybody. Dr. Max Wolf, Dr. David Gibbs, Attorney Mark Fancher, Dwight McKee, David Swanson. You all have been touched blessings today. Dr. Shanina Knighton and Pastor Darius Brooks. Please support his church. They're giving away a lot of food to people who need it. Just go on and get in the line. Get on board, get on board. The Grace Central Church in Westchester, Illinois, they always have food for you. Please put Rainbow Push under your Christmas tree. We'll be at the jail uh, celebrating the holidays for those who've been locked who've been locked in and who've been left behind. And um, we need your support. Go to rainbowpush.org and call us at 773-FREEDOM. Until tomorrow, everybody, God bless you. I'm Santita Jackson. Thank you, WCPT family and AM 950 Radio. I'm out of here.